0: I'm Brad. Welcome to Strange History, the podcast where, you guessed it, we talk about strange history. Today we do have a bit of a special episode. It's a little bit out of the realm of what we normally do. Instead of fun history lessons about the world around you and how they impact our day-to-day lives, today we're talking about monsters and ghosts and maybe demons, aliens. I have no idea what all is going to be discussed today. I do have a pretty good idea, though. Even though it sounds like we're winging this, we're a little bit more organized than I'd like to believe we are. With me today, I have my friend Katie and my very best friend, Alyssa. You guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves.
1: I'm Katie Perine. I am a former paranormal guide at, that worked at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, and I own Appalachian Oddities in West and West Virginia. And I am here today because... Uh, we shared a very similar experience when we were young, Brad, and I'm here to share that and get that out there on your podcast.
2: Uh, I'm Alyssa Hill. I also am a paranormal investigator at the trans allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I'm here for a good time and Spooky Stories.
1: That was better than my answer. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: um, I'm not going to introduce myself. You guys have went through 13 episodes like this. Oh, wait, this is going to be 13. It's the 13th episode. (laughs) How luckily unlucky. Phenomenal. Creepy. But yes, like Katie said, we did share a uh, rather strange encounter growing up. Mine took place when I was very young. I was still like elementary school-ish age. I don't remember the exact year or how young I was. But I do remember I was still living with my grandparents, and we were still in the old house before my grandpa added on and created an actual multi-room house. Growing up, I was rather poor, so we had a little maybe two-bedroom house. There was a spare room, usually reserved for my mom and her boyfriend, husband, who knows. There was my grandparents' room, and our kitchen, living room, and dining room were all kind of smushed together on the left side of the house. Separating the kitchen dining area from the living room was a small see-through wall made of lattice work. In the living room, there was a picture window, but I don't want you to envision a normal picture window. I really don't have any other way to describe it. Just think a window with two parts, a bottom part and then an upper part. Looking right through the window wasn't the outside world, but instead just a small enclosed room. And in that small enclosed room was my grandfather's wood stove. It's a massive, massive chunk of solid steel wired into the house with all kinds of weird makeshift tubing to heat the inside. And one day, In late December, I'm going to say the last week or so, but I don't remember if it was before or after Christmas, early, early in the morning, I woke up. My little bladder said, we need to go, and we need to go now, and I decided that braving the darkness with my little purple flashlight was probably a better idea than simply peeing the bed. So I crawled out of bed, Crawled over my grandma, braced myself for the coming cold, and got out of bed. I grabbed that little purple flashlight, flipped it on, and held it in both hands. I was very scared. And quietly and quickly walked down the hall to the little bathroom. I did my business, and I came back out. Now, when you come out of the old bathroom, that spare room is just right in front. The door was always closed. No light in the house other than the one that I had. On the right-hand side was the little hallway that led into the living room. So I make that turn and I walk down that little hall. Just on the other side of the hall, I can see the entirety of the living room and that window. And standing in that window, there was a figure. Now, there's many different ways. I could describe this thing that i saw standing there in the window he was tall i mean freakishly tall and built like an like a like a truck thing was huge i'm not going to say on the level of Schwarzenegger. we're thinking maybe a good chris evans kind of built but still relatively human ish now He's got his hands up by his head, kind of, I know you guys can't see me, but kind of like you're surrendering. You know, hands raised above your head, hands pressed up against the window. And I remember the size of his fingers, the fingernails, the arm structure. Again, dudes ripped, but those hands were fucking massive. The fingers were huge, the nails were long, and it just stood there in that window and watched. I don't remember the color of its eyes. I don't remember the complexity of its skin. I remember just the size of this thing. And vague memories of the color purple now that I'm talking about it as much as we have. For some reason, I want to say that it was purple, but I know that doesn't make sense. It's not really a color that Occurs naturally on living creatures, to the best of my knowledge. There might be some exceptions other than things like flowers and fish, but I vaguely remember the color purple. But, you know, I'm a kid. I see this thing, I freak out, I run towards it and around the corner to the left hand side of the bedroom. I crawled in bed and I just stayed there for the rest of the night. I don't remember if I slept well, I probably didn't, but I decided that it was best to just not talk about the strange thing that I saw in the window. Whenever I talked to myself about it, and whenever I journaled about it, I referred to it as a monster or a demon because it made sense. Growing up in an incredibly religious household, you know, that weird thing that goes bump in the night, that's a demon. It has to be. But as I grew up, as we moved out of the old house into the new one as things were added on and taken off and eventually as my grandmother unfortunately passed one day me and my grandpa got to talking about some of the weirder stranger stuff that we've encountered he told me stories about picking up little girls when he was coming home from work and i don't mean that in that way he would occasionally pitch up pick up hitchhikers when he lived in ohio he Very vividly remembered the story of one late July around Charleston hitting a woman standing in the road, and when he got out, there was no one there. But when I told him the story about this thing, this man standing in that window, all he did was chuckle. When I asked him why he laughed, he said that he had actually seen that thing for decades, right after they moved here from Ohio, on a constant basis, day and night alike, just standing there in the window. Of course, now that the house has changed, the window's gone, neither of us have seen whatever this thing is or was. Like I was joking with Katie earlier, I think it was just looking for somewhere warm. You know, you got that nice hot stove out there in that small enclosed room. It was the end of December. You know, this is before global warming was really a thing, so it's still nice and cold. I think that it was just some kind of strange otherworldly multi-dimensional weird creature just wanted to be a little bit warm what do you guys think
1: um i mean that would make that makes sense that makes sense to me but like like i was telling you when you were joking with me you have an optimistic view of it oh yeah absolutely. i have i have a i have a less optimistic stance on what happened to me because it it struck me with such fear that i can only remember it as a negative thing and i can't give it any benefit of the doubt other than trying to scare me so for the benefit of your listeners i i want to go ahead and let them know why we decided to come together and do this of course so we had an event here uh last weekend It was krampus night it was december 5th we had i campfire not fire out back of the shop and we did um there was a a piece of the evening that we had all sat down around the campfire. It was a scheduled part of the night called share your scare. And we went around the campfire, we were telling these stories. And when I had told my story, that's when you piped up and said, I have a similar story and you recounted your tale. And it was very similar to what I have. And as we kept going through the stories and, and talking to the people that were there, we realized that a lot of the, things that were happening were happening in the cold months they were happening in the winter so we had decided to dig into that a little bit that's why we're all gathered here today is to talk about the strange shit that goes on when it's cold so with my story um so that your listeners have the the match to yours um i was probably six or seven it was christmas eve My aunt was in the Navy at the time and she had come home for Christmas. She was staying in my sister's room. We had all decided to camp out in my sister's room. She was sleeping in the bed and Christy and I had made beds on the floor with, with blankets and stuff. I don't know. It was like in the middle of the night, Christy wakes me up and she says, Katie, you have to trade me sides. I'm scared. There's something in the window. And I thought you're crazy. What what are you talking about? And she says there's something in the window. You've got to trade me places. I don't want to sleep on this side anymore. And we were at the foot of the bed. So, we fix our blankets, we get up, we trade places, and while we're trading places, I'm thinking she's she's crazy. She's just trying to scare me. So, I looked at the window and there was nothing there. And it was I mean, it was a it was a two-pane window. The blinds were drawn <clears throat> and you could see silhouettes outside from where the streetlight was shining in on the back of the blinds. So if anything had been standing there, there would have been a silhouette. So I get situated, I'm laying down and I remember that I had a doll or a stuffed animal or something in my hands. And as I'm laying there trying to get myself relaxed enough to go back to sleep, I think she's crazy. What did she see? And I just looked back up at the window and there was a silhouette of a very similar figure to what you saw, Brad a very strange shaped head. I I distinctly remember the hands and the way that you talked about the fingers being so long and so pronounced. And it was the same stance. It was face pressed against the glass, hands pressed against the glass in the I surrender pose or the peeking in, like peeking in the window. And my eyes shot back down and into the closet that was across from me and I froze in fear fear i couldn't move i had my doll in my hands i couldn't blink i couldn't breathe for what felt like hours and hours and hours and finally when i realized that the sun was coming through the window i was able to relax my body and and get out of the frozen mode but i have never been frozen in fear like that again it was the only time it's ever happened to me and it was just it was the most unsettling thing that story still to this day gives me nightmares. I won't sleep beside windows. I use heavy curtains all the time I make sure that they are drawn. I make sure that the blinds are drawn. Um, if we stay at a hotel I have to sleep on the side of the bed where the window is not. you know like I, I have a thing with windows now because it's I, I just I don't ever want to experience that again. and it makes absolutely no sense that for a small portion of my life I've been ghost hunting. Because I don't like to be afraid and I used to joke with my my guests that would come into the asylum and I would say I have no business being a ghost hunter I'm a giant chicken shit and that's true. That is true. So we we decided to talk about the anomalies that happen in the cold because um, I'm sure that there are a lot of other haunted places that have the same things but as Alyssa Brad and I all know, the asylum is way more active in the winter time way more active in the colder months. Yeah. And we were just we're just trying to connect the dots and see what all these anomalies and phenomenon have to do with the cold.
2: You know, I tell my guests the same thing, that just because I'm a paranormal guy doesn't mean I can't get scared, too. And if I start running, they should run with me. Right. Is what I say if something creepy happens.
0: Right. <laughs> it's the only time I've actually been legitimately scared, there's uh one of the nights in October <laughs> when Fred Gerwig snuck up on me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Fred, he was good for that. Oh, some of the some of the people who work there are scarier than any spirits that we could come up with in that place
1: he wore those those boots that didn't have any soles on the bottom of them they were just like the those ninja shoes the ninja shoes and like he could sneak up on anybody he was so quiet needed a bell definitely <laughs> needed a bell
0: definitely now do you remember like could you feel the thing
1: watching you after you were like ah scary i i feel like it was but i feel like it was fixed on me all night long and then at some point i realized that the sun was shining maybe aunt jan was starting to move around cuz she was waking up or something but i i just remember being locked in total darkness and total silence and i feel like i feel like my body shut off like i couldn't hear my eyes were locked i it was just it was it was the craziest thing but um definitely for a minute i do Feel like I did have the foreboding feeling of being monitored.
0: <laughs> now, did you like lose time? Like you said, it felt like hours, but did it feel like those hours went by really quick? Or was your body just like your mental state dragging everything along?
1: I don't have any idea. I just remember being really sore the next day because I had been. Frozen and locked up and like all of my muscles had decided that they were you know I was too hard on them in that locked position so and I'm like seven years old what seven-year-old do you know that sleeps all day because they're tired and sore (laughs) (laughs) the
0: reason I ask is because um after doing a lot of research for a lot of other weird projects in my life a lot of individuals who have witnessed or reported you know gray men always say that it seems like time is just kind of an abstract concept. You know what time it is when you witness them and then it feels like minutes to hours later when either no time has passed at all or several consecutive hours have just
1: disappeared and you have no way to track any of that. I definitely feel like time had become abstract in that moment because i don't know how long i laid there i really don't it could have been a couple of hours i don't know what time christy woke me up i know that it was super dark outside when she did and we didn't have a night light or anything in the room so i the only thing that you could see in the room was the street light from outside shining in through the window and so i have absolutely no clue what the timeline is other than it was late and i laid there for what felt like a really long time
0: Interesting. Any input?
1: I was just reminded
2: that I had a window experience, but I don't think that it was like creepy. I lived in a trailer park for 10 years of my life growing up. and I made a Facebook status and that's why I picked up my phone. Um, I said, oh, okay, okay. I swear someone is outside the window. It isn't my shadow because it is someone with short hair, shorter than mine. And that was the only thing I said about it. And it's the only thing I can remember. So I don't know if it was something similar or just a creepy neighbor. neighbor, When did it happen though? October.
1: So we're still get, still in the cold months. True, you know? true.
2: But to be fair, there was a chair outside my window um, that my stepdad found the next day. So probably a person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which is objectively more, more creepy yeah, than yeah, yeah. some strange weird
1: cryptid.
2: I would prefer the the hands, I think, over a creepy next door neighbor.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. For sure. For sure.
1: I am glad that you threw out the word cryptid because the notes that I have for today feel very specifically with cryptids that that was what I dug up when I was looking for weird things that were happening in December. So everything kind of ties back into harbingers of death. So
0: that fun story. We work with a cryptid. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. Harmon Langer is, how you say his name? Yes. <laughs> is totally a cryptid. He, we have weird grainy security camera footage of him running across the parking lot. At a very impressive speed. Um, remind me after all this is over and I'll bring it up on Facebook and show off to you. That's the joke of the year, though. Harmon's a cryptid because of the strange, supernatural footage we have of him. There's another reason, wasn't there? What was um, the other
2: reason? I don't remember. He I just sort of appears. Was the, yeah. it he
1: actually him?
0: Or... Yes, yes, it was. It yeah. was actually him. Chasing one of the tents down in September,
1: wasn't I it? I saw it, and Yeah, you were running in it too, weren't you? Yes, <laughs> I was, I was. I ran out
2: after him and uh, Brianna did. I helped hold the tent down with the cryptid.
1: Yes, I I saw all of that. It was <laughs> glorious. It was. It really was.
0: All right, and we're back from our not-so-extended break. The next topic we're going to be discussing is, of course, everyone's favorite man who is also a moth. Of course, that's Mothman. Now, Mothman was first sighted in the city of Point Pleasant on November 15th, 1966. That is a month before the time frame we were going for. But it still fits that kind of it's chilly out pre-Christmas time that we're discussing overall. Now, The last time he was officially spotted during this whole little Mothman outbreak was December 15th, 1967. Now, December 15th, 1967 was also the day that the Silver Bridge, which connected Point Pleasant, West Virginia to, and I hope to God I'm not butchering this. Gallipolis, Ohio, is that right? Anyone? I I don't know. <laughs> Either way, that is the that's the day that the Silver Bridge collapsed. Now, the bridge, as we discussed in a previous episode, actually broke because of an ever so slight two millimeter fracture in one of the eye bars or eye links. It was undetectable during routine maintenance, and ultimately ended up causing the deaths of around 46 people. A lot of people were out Christmas shopping. The combined weight of all the vehicles, the stress of the bridge, one of the redundancy backup systems had already snapped. It was just an absolute horrible, horrible event. One of the worst Bridge disasters in US history, which also coincidentally led to the creation of an entire firm of the US Army Corps of Engineers dedicated just to checking out bridges. Did you guys know that?
1: I did not. I, I did know that because I had a friend who worked in that.
0: Now, Mothman himself was, as I said, initially cited on November 15th, 1966. The first sighting was actually by a group of workers who witnessed just an extraordinarily large bird fly overhead. Around November, I believe it was 19th, is when that quintessential group of unruly teenagers were actually chased down by the creature around the TNT plant. Do one of you guys have some more information about that?
1: Um, I don't have any more information. I do have the, what they had told the police. Um, It was Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Mallette. Uh, They told police they saw a very large gray creature whose eyes glowed red when the car's headlights uh, picked them up. So it was like, you know, like reflective. Um, They described... It has a large flying man with 10 foot wings following their car while they were driving in an area outside of town known as the TNT area. So that was, I came up with pretty much the, the same notes that you had. And there are several different sightings between those two dates, like November 15th, 1966, and then, um, December 15th, 1967. So there's a good year of sightings there. And then the silver bridge happened. And then the sightings seem to like, they seem to drop off a little bit, um, but that was, that was as far as I got in the, in the research part of it.
0: Now, uh, Steve Millette actually went on to describe the creature to police. And these kids weren't the only ones who went to the police to actually report seeing this thing. Um, you guys will remember from a previous episode, the firefighters who actually reported witnessing the creature. But Steve Millette went on and I quote, It was like a man with wings. And it wasn't anything like you'd see on television. His friend Roger Scarberry reported the creature as having two red eyes roughly six inches apart from one another. Now, there's a common standing belief that Mothman is not the cause of the bridge incident or the other incidents around the world. I actually think that he is just a warning kind of a forbearing as to what will actually occur. Like you said earlier, a harbinger of mm-hmm. death. Now, Mothman is probably the most famous cryptid from the state of West Virginia. And I'd say through the entire country, he's, what, at least top five. Everyone knows Mothman. Um, but he has not been cited just here in the US. Of course, we do have the... Incidents between 1966 and 1967, but he was also sighted in the hours leading up to 9-11. A lot of people reported seeing him flying around in the smoke of the first tower. He was recently sighted flying around the city of Chicago around 2018. And the I-35 bridge in Minneapolis, Minnesota, just before it collapsed, he was sighted there as well. There are continuing reports all the way up until modern times. And again it's not just been here in the u.s either in 2009 around a food processing plant in chihuahua mexico just before a swine flu epidemic workers reported seeing the large black winged creature circling the factory and he was also seen around Chernobyl as well anything else you guys want to add on to this
1: um for the sake of for the sake of your your listeners because it'll tie in later I do want to say that Point Pleasant was the site of a pretty famous uh, battle that happened in the 1700s when the settlers were pushing west and moving the Native Americans out. And we will talk about that when we get to the end of this thing. But just so that they've got a little bit of a precursor as to where we're ending on this. It was a, a battle site, so there was a lot of bloodshed there.
0: Do you have anything else you want to add on?
2: Um, I don't think I do.
0: Now, one thing I did come up with in my uh, hour and a half worth of research, there's a standing belief around a lot of the older citizens around the city of Point Pleasant that the town itself, specifically the munitions depot, the big TNT plant, they think because of all the, you know, the trauma with storing weaponry and all the water around Point Pleasant as well that there's actually a portal to another dimension somewhere within city limits which also accounts not only for our man who is also a moth but also for the decades worth of men in black sightings immediately after the first eyewitness reported seeing our beloved garter of pepperoni rolls people reported witnessing or being interviewed by government agents black suits blacked out shades Black Lincoln town cars. It's a weird feeling, they said, when they would talk to you. Almost like they weren't supposed to be there. That they just kind of appeared. And a lot of sightings around the Mothman, even to present date, also still get those reported men in black. Whether it's some weird government shadow agency or they're just aliens, we'll probably never, ever know. Another interesting thing is just how much of a pop culture icon (laughs) Mothman has become today. I mean, you've got him. I don't see him here, which is a little shocking.
1: I do have a book on West Virginia cryptids, and Mothman is a feature in the book. The book was written by Les O'Dell and Mark A. Randall did the illustrations. It's a very cool book. It is available for purchase at the shop. Thank you for opening up the chance, the opportunity for me to plug the store oh you're welcome
0: <laughs> I, I love les odell i've met him a few times les is a great guy oh he, is, he I, is
1: absolutely awesome
0: i'm also now that i'm actually looking around and using my eyes there's a painting of van gogh mothman right there.
1: Yes, that was actually done by one of our co-workers, Rhiannon Hoban. She's one of my consigners here at the shop. I work with a lot of different local artists. Um, I believe she also has earrings out front that she painted that have Mothman on them as well. So well, See, there you go. People people love the cryptids. People love the lore, and I, I think we fall into that group.
0: I agree, but it's not just this little shop here in the city of Weston that's taken a love of the Mothman. He's been featured in several books. He's been featured in movies, The Mothman Prophecies. I think he was in an episode of Supernatural, or at least mentioned. I might be
1: wrong about that, though. I'm thinking... I haven't
2: watched Supernatural in years.
1: I haven't (laughs) caught it. I quit watching after season eight, not because I didn't like the show anymore, but because I didn't have time. So I haven't seen the tail end of it, and I don't remember Mothman being mentioned.
0: Felt. Um, Even larger names have picked up the mothman and bethesda game studios fallout 76 is a great example of that he's featured prominently in the game he's in a lot of the marketing people have such a love of the mothman there's an entire museum in point pleasant dedicated to him not only that there's an entire mothman festival cycled around the mothman and a statue in city limits with and I'm going to be straight up honest. His ass be thick with like <laughs> six C's. There's, oh, no. No, those are just showing off his like 12 pack abs. He
1: does, yes, have, he does very have a ripped. 12 pack. He yeah. is ripped. Very, for very ripped for the statue. They they did him justice in this. Statue. They really <laughs> I'm did. Say that, that. I'm
0: simping over that statue.
1: He's Mothman Adonis at this point. So <laughs> Have you guys
2: been to Point Pleasant? Either of you?
1: I have not been to Point Pleasant myself, and I'm very ashamed of myself for that (laughs) because I, you know, we have this beautiful oddity shop. Cryptids are a big part of what we do here, and that's a little embarrassing for me. So I plan to change that, like, immediately. I might drive up there tonight just to say I've been. I've never (laughs) been either. We can go right now. (laughs) Listen, I've got a full tank of gas in the truck. It's heated. I can
0: play music. We can go to Point Pleasant just to say we went to Point Pleasant. So the
1: three of us have never been to Point Pleasant. Exactly. For some
0: weird, stupid reason.
1: I think we just planned a trip to Point Pleasant. I think we did. (laughs) I think we accidentally planned a trip to
0: Point Pleasant. But while we're talking about Mothman and Point Pleasant, and I mentioned the festival, it is worth also saying, if you two have a love of all things that go bump in the night, the Mothman Festival for 2021 was canceled. But Mothfest 2022 is still going strong. September is the month in question. The 17th and the 18th are the days. So if you are free, I'm not going to be there. I'm probably going to be working. (laughs) But I will absolutely tell you to go check out the Mothman Festival.
1: Do we have anything else you want to say before we take another break? I do want to add real quick because we're we're focusing pretty heavy on Mothman. That's not everything that we're discussing today this is leading into the other things that we're going to be talking about while mothman is probably the most famous cryptid that we have that we talk about here in west virginia we're going to be leading into some other really cool stuff um so i'm excited to get into those creatures and that lore here just shortly
0: anything else No. all right we're going to take another break And while we are taking a break, just because we get a minute off, does not mean you do. Go ahead and check out this sponsored ad and um, enjoy us not talking. And we're back from break number two. Now, the next story does take place in December, but there's a lot of interesting discrepancies because no one actually knows the exact year this story takes place. Anywhere between 1930 until 1980, so there's a lot of wiggle room. In addition to that, there are 21 separate variations of this story that have been told across that time frame. The details stay more or less the same the location stays the same but what changes is where the event itself takes place now between the cities of grafton and fairmont an over-the-road trucker was running his normal route and he was going to the owens illinois glass plant there in the city of fairmont west virginia he was passing through Grafton on the 310 North, also known as the Old Grafton Road, and it parallels the Tigret Valley River, which flows into the Monongahela and actually flows through the city of Weston. We call it the West Fork River. Around Valley Falls Road, the trucker noticed that there was a figure on the side of the road flagging him down, kind of waving like you would if you needed someone to slow down. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe it was a hitchhiker. He didn't know. But it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy, it's December, and he's a good guy, so he decides he's going to stop. As he does, he notices it's a young woman. Her clothing is soaked, her hair is matted, and she's wearing a red nightgown. He asks her what she needs, and she asks if he could take her to Fairmont. Now, that is the location where he is going, so he decides that, yeah, he can do that. He is already running really, really behind, though. Either way, he leans over the center console, he pops open the door, and he helps her up inside. Now, he is late as hell, and he knew... he couldn't really leave the woman behind, though, which is why he ultimately decided to pick her up. He asked her where she was going, and she responded the Cook Hospital. Convenient, that's my last name. <laughs> Spooky dookie. Now, he did help her inside, he wrapped his coat around her to try and keep her warm, and he started the trip to the city Fairmont. He also did know, however, that there was something a little off with her answer. The Cook Hospital was built in 1903 for Dr. John Cook. It's a 100 bed facility in the city of Fairmont. It closed in 1930. And by the time this story's telling was being told, that hospital had already been closed down and another one had opened up. So when he heard Cook Hospital, he really didn't understand. Maybe she didn't know what he'd Maybe she was from out of town. He didn't care, though. He's running late. He's got a job to do. So he decided that that's where she wants to go. That's where he's going to take her. He stopped in front of the old hospital on the intersection of Gaston Avenue and 2nd Street. Got out of his truck. Walked around the cab. And popped open the passenger door to help her out. And... When he opens that passenger door, there is nothing in that passenger seat. His coat is there. His coat is wet. It's cold. There's a kind of cold spot there in the passenger seat, but that's it. There's no one. He's freaked out. I mean, I'd be freaked out if I picked up a hitchhiker. Even if it was a normal person, I'd still be a little bit, you know, freaked out. I'd probably just hold him at gunpoint the entire time. But he decided, okay, I got a job to do. So he goes to the Owens, Illinois glass factory. He walks in and he tells his supervisor this whole drawn out story about what happened. And that's why he's late. And his manager is like, okay, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. You're fired, by the way. You are way too late. Shipment was overdue. I've got to let you go. So now our guy's unemployed. He loses his truck. He's got to find his own way home. But he learned through a friend of a friend that there is a woman in the city of Fairmont a local woman by the name of Ruth Music. Ruth Ann Music was a local historian and a professional West Virginia folklorist. So he got in contact with her and he told her this whole long drawn out story just for her information. And she actually called his boss back and told this man's supervisor that this phantom woman had been picked up by drivers and truckers for years, and that it was a legitimate story. He wasn't trying to fake it. And she actually ended up getting his job back, which super cool. I don't think we could, I don't think any of us could get away with using that as an excuse to not come to work. You own your own shop, but I don't think you could use that as an excuse.
1: I, I, I don't think I could. I don't think you could. <laughs> as hard as I tried.
0: Now, The story, like I said, has like 21 or 27 different variations and the only thing that ever really changes is the location as to where the woman is picked up. It's always on that same road, but it's also where she wants delivered. Normally, it's the Cook Hospital, but sometimes she asks to be dropped off at the local courthouse. And a lot of the more spiritual people in the state of West Virginia actually have some issues with her being dropped off At the hospital. It's a major retelling in folklore that spirits can't cross water for whatever weird reason, but water also attracts spirits. It's a bit of a a conundrum and enigma there. But to get to the hospital, you have to cross the water. You got to go cross the bridge. To get to the courthouse, you don't. Most people who have dropped the spirit off successfully have done so at the courthouse. They say that you can walk over, you can open the door. She opens the door and they always get out and then just kind of fade away. Kind of like the shadow figures we see at work. But anytime someone drops her off at the old hospital, she's just never there. Now, uh, they think that the reason that she can get across the bridge, though, get across the water and actually get to the hospital until you open the door is because of the jacket. It doesn't make sense. I'm not a super ghost hunter. I have no idea what I'm talking about 90% of the time, but they think the jacket weighs her down just enough to make across the bridge. But then as soon as the door opens, I don't know what sets it off, but then she just woofs away. But yeah, that's my Phantom Hitchhiker story. I've heard a lot of different variations of the Phantom Hitchhiker story. I think it's one of the most commonly used stories for the paranormal. I know that in uh, New Orleans, for example, a lot of people pick up Phantom Hitchhikers to the Mm -hmm. point of where Taxi drivers and Uber Lyft or Uber Lyft drivers actually have to double check to make sure the person they're picking up is real, which I find super, super hilarious that ghosts have cheated the capitalist system into getting free car rides. (laughs) Right. I'm glad you like
1: that. Thank you for laughing. (laughs) Do you have a spooky, scary ghost story for us, too? I I do also have have a ghost story um, that kind of ties back into the Mothman stuff that we were talking about earlier. Um, I want to point out that when I was researching this stuff, a lot of the hitchhiker stories are happening in the months that we're talking about, the mm-hmm. months that we're discussing. So it all goes back to the same type of thing as that we're talking about heightened activity in colder temperatures. So there, there has to be a connection there. So I guess this episode will will spring us into action and we will dig deeper to connect dots to make this all make sense but for right now this is just our fact-finding exploratory mission here so and what i want to talk about uh now is the low hotel so um the low hotel is located in point pleasant which again focal point of mothman sightings um, and activity since the late 1960s low is the biggest landmark in downtown point pleasant um, it has a number of invisible residents who like to get the attention of the living so guests like to share their experiences with the owners Ruth and Rush Finley and send them photos showing mysterious phenomenon. now the low opened in 1901 it's at the corner of Fourth and Main, near the site of what some to believe I'm sorry of what some believe to be the first battle of the American Revolutionary War the Battle of Point Pleasant fought on October 10th in 1774 that was the battle that I was referring to earlier we are going to go back to that again at the end of this special but um for the listeners that that was the one I was referring to now the hotel was first called the Spencer Hotel named after a local judge the Honorable J.S. Spencer it was owned and operated by two brothers Homer and Griff Smith it was a giant structure it cost $65,000 to build it had all the modern conveniences. There were 54 rooms on four floors and uh, it was 30 foot high ceilings and stupendous fireplace. It just had all this ornate crown molding work. It was just this beautiful place. Um, the low was the center of high society and lavish entertainment in the 1920s. Um, it even survived the, the crash of the stock market in 1929. And, um, the Finleys acquired the Low Hotel in 1990 and began a restoration project uh, that continues to this day, but they have been able to restore it back to its former glory. Um, a lot of it even has its like original Tiffany stained glass windows. So a lot of the activity that gets reported in the Low Hotel is they have a lot of activity on the second and third floor. So room 202 has become known as the Keel room where author John Keel stayed during the first and second Mothman festivals. And um, there hasn't been a whole lot of activity reported in the room, but outside of the room, right outside of the door, people report being watched by an unseen entity. They just, this very uneasy feeling of being stared at. Um, the third floor is by far the most active room 314. There's a tall, thin man Um, He's dressed in, like, 1930s-era suit. He has a long beard. He appears in the mirror. And he has not been identified, but a lot of people say that he bears a strong resemblance to Sid Hatfield of the famous McCoy and Hatfield feuding families. Um, There is a third-floor, three-room suite that overlooks the Ohio River, and guests have reported the ghost of Captain Jim, or Jimbo, Um, that always says that he's waiting for the boat. That's why they call him the captain, because he always says he's waiting for the boat. Um, He's even been spotted in as early as 2005. The fourth floor features a large ballroom where guests once danced the night away, but the haunting action um, is just absolutely superb up there. One of the items stashed away is an old rattan rocking chair um, that actually sits in this room. And a lot of people report that this rocking chair will move on its own. Much like the asylum, we have several rocking chairs that are sitting around and a lot of people see them moving. And, you know, we have reports of the wheelchairs turning on their on their own. And so they get the same kind of stuff that we get. They have numerous photographic anomalies, unusual light patterns, orbs, uh, full-bodied apparitions. All of that stuff has been photographed and video recorded. Um, so the Low Hotel is definitely worth checking out and uh according to reports is is very active. So and a lot of a lot of the activity going back to the cold thing, a lot of the activity happens in the winter months. So November, December, January are where their rooms and, and such are more prevalent with so that kind of thing.
2: That's where we're gonna stay on our Point Pleasant trip is Below.
1: obviously yeah well of course <laughs> to we, have to stay there. we see that's that's why we're having that's why we're doing this so that we can plan our point pleasant weekend <laughs>
0: this is ah, oh, it's gonna be such a pleasant <laughs> my weekend. birthday
1: is in january by the way
0: oh the see we can oh, this look work at that, yeah beautiful <laughs> um while we're on the topic of strange and fun things happening in the month of december i have a house ghost that i knew about but ex- got to experience last february I remember very vividly um, playing video games and then getting the scent of baked goods and I was like oh cookies and then I was like wait I am home alone and I did not make cookies and I was told when I moved into this house that there is an old woman who likes to you know bake cookies around the holidays. So I was like, hell yeah, she's making me some cookies. But in addition to the weird smell, which I was super excited for, not so excited to watch the rocking chair in my living room start rocking back and forth on its own. Um, I actually took a TikTok of that and I was like, fucking stop. And I listened, which is better than 99.99% of other living things in my
1: house. If Nothing it listens to me. If it was an old woman, you should not have cursed at her. You should apologize, mm-hmm. and you should set out ingredients for her to make cookies.
0: Oh, no, because then something's going to eat them. Or they're going to go bad.
1: They might be really good cookies, though. If
0: they're, if they're even there. <laughs> I don't know if I could trust ghost cookies.
1: You leave the ingredients out for one night. It won't hurt nothing. And then just put them in your pantry, and then you make cookies later. I can't make more shit.
0: Do you have any December, January, February ghost stories?
2: Um... The the, the ghost story I told at the Krampus night that we had uh, happened my second semester at college. I went to Bethany College, which is super duper old and tiny. And I lived in the haunted dorm on campus because of course I did. Uh, That was, I believe, in February, maybe. I know it was still cold outside because we had radiators in my room, and they were always really, really, like, hot to the touch, and it made the room really hot, so we had the door open, so it wasn't so hot, not, we didn't have to open a window, so I was hanging out in my, uh, really big door room, it was made for two people in Phillips Hall, and I had it to myself, and I was hanging out with two of my friends, John and Katie, they were sitting on my bed, I was sitting at my desk, which was probably about six, seven feet away or so, and that's where I had my TV set up, next to this old desk was an old wooden chair, and... Out of nowhere, the old wooden chair lifted off the ground and slammed back down. It was very loud. And then we heard footsteps running down the hall past my door. My door was open. Katie and John could see from where they were sitting that no one was running past my door. It just sounded like it. Um, And so that was creepy. That building definitely came alive when it was cold. Never when it was really, really hot. But if I was a ghost, I'd only want to hang out when it was cold, too, I think.
1: Yeah, better definitely. be cold than hot. And they go home on summer vacation. <laughs> definitely. I also I also feel like the reason we get a lot more activity over at the asylum in, in the cold months is because there were a lot of people who perished because of the cold. There oh, was absolutely. a lot of people I didn't even
2: think of that.
1: who died because they didn't have sufficient heating. They froze to death. So you've got people in those outer wards. They don't have any way to get heat. They're dropping left and right in the cold months. So, like, oh, that would make sense too.
2: That never crossed my
1: wait, mind wait, at all. Wait. They also died of heat exhaustion. That was, they, they just did. didn't have sufficient, they didn't have a sufficient way to keep the the building at a comfortable temperature. Yeah. So, people were, you know, perishing from heat stroke and a lot of them froze to death too. So. Hey, same, just like us. <laughs> maybe, there's, maybe there's no correlation between the temperature thing. Like, maybe, maybe that's just, happenstance of the night that we were talking, it was cold outside, everybody was thinking cold, and maybe that's where all their stories were focused on, but I do find it interesting that there does seem to be an influx of activity um, in the paranormal realm when when the weather's cold, and, and I can attest to that. I've spent four years at the asylum, so I know that the winters were definitely way more popping than anything we had in the summer.
0: We'll definitely have to do some uh, private individual research. For sure, for sure. All right. Do we have anything else to talk about for this segment? I think I'm okay. I'm good. Fantastic. All right. We're going to take another quick break, and we're going to be back at it with our last few things to talk about. And we are back again what are we talking about
1: okay so i want to go back to monsters monsters it is because that's that's where that's where i was at with my research that's what kind of pulled me in so what i am getting ready to talk about a lot of people have heard them called the white things um some people have referred to them as sheep squatches and these things are native cherokee lore Um, from from centuries ago as the legend of the white wolf these mysterious wolves were said to be stark in white color uh, much larger more powerful more ferocious than a typical wolf to see these ghostly pale wolves lurking through the trees was said to be an ominous uh, sign as they were seen as heralds of death so we go back to the harbingers of death thing it's followed by tragedy disaster things of things of that nature I have a couple of accounts here that did happen in the winter months. One was a November sighting and one was a December sighting. And I will just take you through these real quick. Let me track them down and find them here. Okay, so in 1929, a coal miner by the name of Frank Kazul, who on this evening was walking home through a wooded area near Morgans Ridge in Fairmont, um, made his way through the dense brush his thoughts were interrupted by the sight of a very strange creature standing not far ahead, which he described as being the size of a large dog with an extremely large, powerfully jawed head, a bushy tail and covered with pure white fur. Almost as soon as Kazul saw it, the thing pounced on him, biting and clawing at him ravenously and seeming to, in, but seeming to inflict no real damage. Similarly, Kazul's efforts to punch and kick at it, not only, not only did not hurt it but did not seem to hit anything at all as if he were trying to fight a ghost his strikes they passed through thin air although it didn't seem to be able to hurt him either he certainly knew it was solid to some extent as the weight managed to push him over and cause him to stumble several times as he retreated through the trees throughout this whole terrifying ordeal the creature made no sound completely silent creating a surreal scene where the man was being savagely attacked by a spectral beast to the jarring symphony of birdsong and other peaceful sounds of an otherwise calm forest. This report seems to be remarkably similar to the previous uh, reports of it with a vicious attack, leaving no physical wounds. So it could be the same thing. And if so, what was it? It's, it all goes back to, to these reports. Um, The First, or one of the newer sightings of this thing happened in 1994. It is uh, probably one of the more recent reports of it. A group of women claimed that they had been driving along a treacherous icy road in a location in West Virginia known as the TNT area, which again, we're talking about Mothman territory here. Um, They were being cautious in the car, so they were kind of driving slow. And according to the witnesses, they were surprised by a large creature Um, which lumbered out of the woods in front of them described as being around seven or eight feet tall covered with shaggy white hair and with a pointed snout ram like horns and human looking legs the mysterious creature allegedly froze for a moment and when the headlights hit it it ran off into the dark forest so the i said that that was the one of the earlier reports of it not the earliest though that was in 1994 the earliest that i could find was, uh, 2015. A group of six unnamed campers, um, saw it while out at Folks Run. One of the campers reportedly first saw the creature crouching menacingly atop a hill at around midnight, after which he went to warn the others. It was then that whatever it was stood to its full height of eight or nine feet. See, it keeps getting bigger in the stories and the reports. They usually and, do. And started running down the hill towards, towards the camp. Apparently, the river stood between the campers and the creature, but after trying in vain to find a way around it, it simply waded into the rushing water to slosh towards them. By this time, all of the campers had gathered to watch the strange mo- monster coming through the river towards them, and when it emerged, they could see what looked like a huge, white, bipedal dog dripping water, and its fur was soaked. The campers reported that there had been a shriek from out in the forest from something else It had apparently frightened the creature, which whimpered and slunk off back into the woods for fear or passiveness. One wonders what provoked such a response. What are we to make of this totally otherworldly creature? And it just it goes on and on like that. There are more reports of these. Uh, there was one gentleman who was attacked some years ago. I say attacked in quotations because him and his friends were were camping in in the same set of woods out by the TNT area. He was drug off through the woods. His friends watched him get drug away. They saw the creature. Um, He said he felt like he had had his throat bitten out and that from the bottom of his chin all the way to his belly button, he said it felt like it was completely ripped wide open. And his friends were watching him wrestling with this unknown beast. Um, They started to run towards him to try and save him. As they started to run towards him, the white creature gallivanted off into the woods and the man was left there screaming in pain but there was no actual no actual physical wounds or or any kind of physical evidence that he had actually been attacked other than his friends seeing him get drugged through the bushes so and you know in in talking about this stuff and talking about these ghost stories and natural disasters and these 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 cryptids, this lore, these monsters. I I went back as far as I possibly could, and I got stopped at a really interesting place, because like I said, we're you know we're going to talk about the the battle that happened in the seventeen hundreds, that happened in Point Pleasant, and this battle was actually it's pretty relevant to all of this stuff because apparently there was. A curse laid on the land. And do you, have you guys heard of the cornstalk curse? Do you know what I'm talking about? I've heard of it, but I don't know about it. Okay. So almost two centuries before the shadow of the mothman reared its head in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, the land around the Ohio River ran red with blood. The inhabitants of the American colonies began to push their way west and later fought for their independence from britain they entered into deadly combat with native american inhabitants of the land and that's what we're talking about now there was a chief um let me get to it here in my in my notes
0: it does kind of seem like point pleasant's the epicenter for most of west virginia's shit
1: though yeah yeah it's 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 got you know It's got a stereotype attached to it. Now, there were several different Native American tribes that were involved in this. Uh, There was the Delaware, the Wyandotte, the Mango, uh, the Miami, the Ottawa, the Illinois, and the Shawnee. And the chief of the Shawnee was named Chief Cornstalk. In 1774, when the white settlers were moving down into Kanawha and the Ohio river valleys, the Indian Confederacy prepared to protect their lands by any means necessary. They gathered about 12, 1,200 warriors and they began to make preparations to attack the white settlers. Now, when they were attacked, the Native Americans were not armed with, with the muskets and the, and the, the weaponry that the, the white settlers had. So, only about 140 colonists were killed, and more than twice that number of the Native Americans. So it was a lot of bloodshed um, in this area at that time. Now, the Shawnee leader Cornstalk had made peace with the white men later on. Um, He would carry on to news to his new friends in 1777 that the British were trying to coax the Indians into attacking the rebellious colonies. Uh, The tribes began massing along the Ohio River with the intent on attacking the fort and Cornstalk and an associate of his, a Delaware chief, Red Hawk, had no taste for war with the Americans. So in, on November 7th, they went and tried to negotiate peace before fighting. Cornstalk told Captain Arbuckle, who commanded the Garcon, that he was opposed to war with the colonists, but that only he and his tribe were holding back from joining on the side of the British. He was afraid that he would be forced to go along with the rest of the Confederacy. When he admitted to Arbuckle that he would allow his men to fight if the other tribes did, Cornstalk, Red Hawk, and other Native Americans were taken as hostages. The Americans believed that they could use him to keep the other tribes from attacking. They forced the Native Americans into a standoff for, <clears throat> for none of them wanted to risk the lives of their leader. So Cornstalk's name not only struck fear into the hearts of the white settlers, up and down the frontier but also garnered respect from the other indian tribes so he's a really important guy so a while goes on he he's he's a hostage of this at this camp um a lot of people theorize that cornstalk was there willingly because he actually helped them um come up with some battle strategies to defeat britain the britain soldiers now There was a day where they were hearing gunfire from outside the walls of the fort. Um, They were in the direction of the Kanawha River, and when the men went out to investigate, they discovered two soldiers had left the stockade to go hunting, and they had been ambushed by Native Americans. One of them had escaped, but the other man had been killed. When his bloody corpse was returned to the fort, the soldiers in the garrison were engaged, acting acting against orders. They broke into the quarters where Cornstalk and the other Native Americans were being held and they killed them all on the spot. They killed Cornstalk's young son who was there. They ended up shooting him right where he was. Um, Red Hawk tried to escape out a chimney. He was pulled back down and he was slaughtered right there. And then Cornstalk was shot to death. He was shot eight times. And as he laid there in a very smoke filled room, he is said to have put a court a curse on the land. So this is what Cornstalk is. It's legend that he said this. So this is a, a quote from Cornstalk here. I was at the border I was the borderman's friend. Many times I have saved him and his people from harm. I have never warred with you, but only to protect our wigwams and lands. I refuse to join your pale-faced enemies with the redcoats. I came to this fort as your friend, and you murdered me. You have murdered by my side, my young son. For this, may the curse of the great spirit rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it be blighted in hopes. May the strength of its peoples be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. He spoke these words, and then he died. The bodies of the other Indians were then taken and dumped into the Kanawha River, but Cornstalk's corpse was buried near the fort on Point Pleasant overlooking the junction of the Kanawha and Ohio rivers where he remained for many years. In 1974, the town of Point Pleasant was established near the site of the old fort. For many years, the Indian's grave lay undisturbed, but in 1840, his bones were removed to the grounds of the Mason County Courthouse where in 1899, a monument was erected in Cornstalk's memory. In the late 1950s, a new courthouse was built in Point Pleasant, and the chief's remains, which now consisted of three teeth and about 15 pieces of bone, were placed in an aluminum box and re-entered in a corner of the town's Two Endy way Park. I know I probably just butchered that pronunciation. (laughs) Two Endy way Park. uh, Next to the grave of Virginia frontiersmen that Cornstalk once fight and later befriended. A 12 foot monument was then erected in his honor. So he was he was re, he was exhumed, he was reburied, he was put into a box, and this area has just been absolutely fraught with with different things happening. So the the when I was coming up with the list of things, there was a couple of things that jumped out at me. So like 1970, November 14th. A Southern Airways DC-10 crashed into a mountain near Huntington, West Virginia. It killed 75 people. 1967, of course, the devastating Silver Bridge collapse. Um, That was December 15th. And again, that all ties back into being connected with the Mothman. Um, In 1937, or I'm sorry, 1953, there was a barge that exploded and killed six men from the town just before Christmas. And then in 1978, in January, a freight train derailed at Point Pleasant and dumped thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals. The chemicals contained the town, or I'm sorry, contaminated the town's water supply and the wells, and the town had to be abandoned. I mean, it it was just, it was just absolutely, it's a crazy list of things that have happened in and around Point Pleasant that I think... You know, if, if if you're a believer and, and you feel like there's a source of ancient magic or something that we don't understand, it might all tie back into Chief Cornstalk's betrayal and murder and the curse that he placed on Point Pleasant.
0: It's a strong possibility. Curses are serious magic. There's a lot of power there.
1: Right, right. And, you know, a lot of people a lot of people don't understand this stuff and there's, there's all these coincidences and all these correlations between one thing and the next. And, you know, where else does it come from? We don't have an answer to that question at all. So why is it, you know, why couldn't it be the curse? Right. So now that I've, now that I have saturated <laughs> us with information, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, I know, I know where my beliefs are. my My belief is that is that at everything's core, it all comes down to energy. Energy is what you have. It is what you make it. So, if you believe in magic and you put your energy into that, then of course, there's magic. Yeah, if you
0: manifest, it's there. Mm-hmm.
1: Manifesting millions of dollars, as we speak. <laughs>
2: I think maybe too in terms of like energy and since we're talking about the cold months and we've talked you know so much about all these things all of these things happening from maybe October up until you know February when things start to warm up again maybe it could also do with weather weather brings in a lot of energy I know and you know just my very short time at the asylum that on days where it's stormy it feels more alive and I feel like we have especially here in West Virginia more serious weather in the winter we get Snow, we get hail, you know, some days in the middle of December it's raining really hard for no reason whatsoever. And that might too have a little bit of tie-in with some magic. A lot of people think that, you know, weather brings in the energy and so oh, yeah. feeding off
1: I like mean if you if you that. look back to like the old gods, you know, they're they there's there's a god for everything. You know, you talk about the Egyptians, they have the sun god Ra and you move into Native American cultures. Native American cultures were multi-god cultures as well, so they had spirits and entities for rain and wind and, you know, harvest and crop and and. It's just where does it come from? There's no answer to that question, and it's, it's something that has driven people mad for centuries. And I doubt the three of us. <laughs> Will ever be able to answer it, but it's fun to talk about. And I had a really great time. So I thank you guys very much for coming out to do this podcast with me. I feel great that I have friends that have <laughs> a lot of the same interests that I do. So it is I'm, so great having friends. It is great having
2: friends. I'm always down to talk about spooky stuff. So I can uh, you know, be extra scared of my drive home to the middle of nowhere. If I see anything, I'll call you.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. Scaring yourself, I can definitely put down as a hobby because mm-hmm. I do it on a regular basis. Oh, for sure.
0: I don't know. My tribe's all interstate, so. <laughs> interstate can be super scary, too. I'm only afraid of the other people. <laughs> gotcha.
2: I mean, I do have a highway story.
0: You do have a highway
1: story.
2: Do you want to hear the highway story? It ties Always. back into the white monsters.
1: Bonus highway story. Bonus highway Bonus story. Bonus time.
2: <laughs> so, this is from February 2020, so... Winter, it's cold.
0: This is the most recent story I think we have. I
2: think so. I think so. I have no idea who this person is. Um, Someone I was friends with on Facebook shared the story, and she was like, oh my gosh, like tag some friends. This Is what we saw? Um, So I won't say the guy's name who made the post, but it's from February 2020. He was leaving Buchanan, which is a town that I'm from, coming down Buchanan Mountain, which is pretty steep, um, headed towards Lewis County. He was specifically headed towards Clarksburg, so he was on Route 33 heading towards I-79. While he's on Main Street in downtown Buchanan, a cop uh, car pulled out behind him. They didn't shine lights or anything or pull him over, just kind of following this guy, which is what they do around here. Uh, He gets down Route 33. He's coming down Buckhannon Mountain. And he sort of takes a closer look at this cop car that's still following him. And it's not really normal. It's not a Ford Explorer, as he says. It's not a normal police cruiser. It's all blacked out. Um, It's got bull bars and all the other stuff, but there's no reflective markings, no license plate. And then this car ends up passing him on the highway. So he's about halfway coming down that hill. And right when the cop sort of crests the hill, he flashes his blue and white lights for just a second, just a quick second, and then turns him, turns them back off. This guy thinks it's weird, um, but he keeps going and he says, out of paranoia, paranoia, I'm going a little bit under the speed limit, about 10 under, plus it's dark and that hill is straight up booty. That is a direct quote from this man. Um, He's getting towards the bottom, coming around that sort of turn and on the right side of the road, there's a little um, sort of alcove driveway, open area and he sees a thing standing on all fours pale white skinny and extremely thin and tall clubbed feet hairless monstrosity with hands like daggers long wispy spread out hairs on his head is how he described this thing that he saw Um, he says it turns and looks at him and he has on his high beams but it's not looking at the lights or the car it is specifically looking at him directly in the eyes he says its eyes are black as coal with almost no white, and it blinks. It blinks and its eyelids blink sideways, not up and down, and it's sort of scowling at him. And he sees its forehead tense up. He's about seven or eight feet tall, and its mouth is sort of open. He speeds up a little bit uh, to get past that sort of curve, and makes it to Clarksburg and this man is still alive he said he was going to do an update um but he I don't know if he ever did I can't find the update about what this monster was and the pictures that he attached to this Facebook post are very similar um descriptors of what you guys talked about in terms of what you saw poking its head in the window when you were little kids and then you know that sort of white skinned long fingered creature Oh, ew! <laughs> and I drove down Buchanan Mountain on my way here to do this, um, and I was terrified the entire time. There was a big truck in front of me, but he had sped up and passed me, and I was like, "Great, this is it. This is going to be the moment that I see this creature on the way here." Um, I did not. I don't know what I would have done if I did, but I kept my eyes straight forward well, just I'd, in case. <laughs> I tell you to
0: drive faster, but your little car can't really go. It can really it? cannot. No. All right, I think we're out of
1: prepared material. <laughs> I'd love to sit here and chat with you guys all night, but it is 9 something, 928, almost 930. And I do have children that I have to get in bed and get them up for school tomorrow. So thank you again for coming out. I, I so appreciate the opportunity to be part of your Strange History podcast, Brad. And I am glad that you guys chose the shop for the setting because it's very comfortable and is very comfortable i i feel like the atmosphere is just right for this type of thing <laughs> it absolutely it is. is
0: thank you so much so much for uh hanging out with us and letting us do this
1: all right no problem guys holler at me when you want to do another one. Oh, <laughs>
0: fantastic see this invitation Saves <laughs> me the awkwardness our point of asking pleasant trip yes our point pleasant <laughs> trip all right well i guess we're signing off And with that, we wrap up Season 1 of Strange History. Thank you to all of those who have listened religiously, and non-religiously, through the delays, the months without episodes, the poor editing, and the horrible scriptwriting. Thank you to our new co-host, Alyssa, who will be keeping me on track, on time, and well-rehearsed. But most importantly, please... Tune in next year, in 2022, for Season 2. We'll be updating with a more regimented schedule, longer episodes, and more in-depth histories on the things that make us, us. This is Brad from Strange History, signing
1: off.
2: Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Strange History. A huge thank you goes out to Katie from Appalachian Oddities here in Weston, West Virginia. Thanks, Katie, for joining us on our special episode number 13. Go ahead and follow Appalachian Oddities on Facebook. And if you ever find yourself in the area, check out the shop, too. They have some cool, weird things, beautiful local artwork, handmade jewelry, awesome ghost hunting equipment, and a creepy escape room. Be sure to follow strange history on facebook and twitter for all the latest podcast updates and of course always enjoy the strange weird things that make us
0: us